The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. God's word today comes from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7, with, beginning with verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, and I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, What readiness to see justice done? At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. This is God's word for today. I'd ask you guys to join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. You are a God who gives uh, your word as a gift to your children. Lord, we pray that as we encounter you in your words today, that we are transformed, that we are again brought near to you, and that, uh, yeah, together we can get a little bit closer to understanding what it means to be a disciple of you. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are starting a new sermon series called Head Trash. And this term, Head Trash, was something I heard about for the first time about two years into my ministry. I was a pastor in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Things were going pretty good, but I had a mentor, and I reached out to him, and I said, hey, can we talk? I think it's about to rain on me right there. Anyway, uh, can we talk? He said, yeah. And I asked a very dangerous question, a question that, honestly, I probably will never ask again. And the question was... Is there anything wrong with me or my ministry? That's a long list. Like, you can talk to my wife, you can talk to any of the staff people, and they can give you a very detailed list of, here are all the things that Josh doesn't do particularly well, right? And all of us have that. All of us are works in progress. But uh, my mentor, being the kind man that he is, uh, said, you know what, I think the biggest thing that's stopping your ministry from taking the next step forward is head trash. He said, head trash? What's head trash? And he said, well, head trash are things that you believe in your mind. There are lies that you have convinced yourself are true. And because these things are in your head, they take up occupancy. They're renting space for free. And they're stopping you, they're binding you from whatever ministry God is calling to you next. Said things like insecurity, anxiety, shame, resentment. And I never really thought of it that way, but all of us have lies that we believe. And those lies aren't from God. They're from the world, they're from the broken, sinful part of ourselves, but those lies stop us from being able to follow God. They stop us from being able to believe the truths of God, and they end up jamming us up. They gunk up our faith. They gunk up our ability to be disciples of Christ, to love God with everything we have, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this sermon series, what we're going to be doing is looking at four different pieces of head trash that can stop us from following God. We're going to look at shame. We're going to look at shame's cousin, resentment. 
We're going to look at insecurity, and we're going to look at anxiety. And saying, all right, God, what parts of these things don't you want in our head? How are we letting these take up occupancy, and how are these things stopping us from following you? And for shame, we're going to go with this definition. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by conscious wrong or foolish behavior. All of us can think of a time where we made a choice that we're still ashamed of. Maybe we said something to a loved one and we're like, that was not the right time. Maybe we did something. We did something bad. We consciously hurt someone else. Our choices, our actions became toxic to a relationship. And then that action leads to humiliation and distress. You know, when I think about the times where me and my dad spent together, it is easier for me to remember times I disappointed my dad than of times where I remember him saying, I'm proud of you. And it wasn't because my dad doesn't say, I'm proud of you or I love you. He does. He's actually really good at that. But I can remember so clearly the times I mucked up. And that feeling of being called out, that feeling of, oh my gosh, I, this decision has left me humiliated. All of us have times like that. All of us have relationships like that. And it stays there. And it's this burden that we don't know how to get rid of, and we just carry it around with us. And one of the reasons why we do that is because we were never meant to have shame. Genesis 2, before the fall, before we rebelled against God, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were completely exposed. They were completely vulnerable. Everything they did was completely known by each other and by God. And there was no shame. There was nothing to hide. There was no brokenness. There was no humiliation. There was no distress. Right? And that's why shame feels so unnatural because we weren't built for it. Our bodies, our souls, were not built for shame which is why it's so powerful when it comes in, because it's this foreign experience that humanity was never supposed to deal with. But, but we did that conscious, willful, wrong behavior, and something started to change, right? Genesis doesn't end in chapter 2. We hit Genesis chapter 3. We eat that fruit. We tell God, hey, you know what? We got a better idea. We know you said to do this, but we're going to take our own path. We're going to rebel. And as soon as we rebel, what's the first thing that happens? God comes into the garden. He asks, he's calling out, hey, Adam, Eve, where are you at? And what do they do? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. All of a sudden, he's not okay being open anymore. All of a sudden, he has something to hide. He has something he's distressed about that he's humiliated about. And so he hides from God. Shame creeps in, and shame, that choice, that rebellion, separated him from God. It separated him from each other. And who told you that you were naked? It was the rebellion. All right? But as unnatural as shame is, it is the natural consequence of rebellion. Shame, realizing we did something wrong, it's the natural consequence of an unnatural event. 
Because when we willfully and consciously say, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to take this temporary high or this temporary pride over where I know God is calling me, that, that's where shame comes from. We call it sin, right? It infects all of us, universally. And that's all throughout Scripture, right? It's not like there are different levels of sinners, right? So if you're a pastor, you're like sinner level one. And if you're an elder, you're sinner level three. And if you just show up at church, you're sinner level five. And if you don't go to church, oh man, you are in the bottom dredges, right? You're a baker's dozen at that point. That is not Scripture. Romans says, for all have sinned. All have been infected by this thing. Psalm 51 is written by David. The only human person that the Bible says was the man after God's own heart. That is quite a compliment. That is like the compliment, right? Man, this guy, he's trying to follow God. He's after God's heart. That's so beautiful. And what does uh, David write about his own sin? For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. And against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justify when you judge. For surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David writes, he goes, we're all infected by this thing. We're all broken. We all have a reason to be shamed. And the world, the world has a couple of solutions to your shame. All right? The world will tell you, one, well, evil isn't actually evil, right? One of the ways you can get out of shame is by pretending, eh, there's nothing really bad, right? As long as you're not hurting anyone. As long as, you know, you're not going out and stealing from someone else or pushing someone else down, right? You're good. We see this again in Scripture. Romans says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a human being. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's that last part. They exchanged God's truth, what is good and what is evil, for a lie. Eh, it's not really that bad. Ah, you can cheat on your wife. Ah, you can post that to social media. Ah, you don't have to love your neighbor right now. You know what? You, you deserve a little bit more Netflix time. Right? We convince ourselves. We lie to ourselves. It's not that bad. That's not God's truth. That's not what God is after. And that is not the solution to shame. Because eventually what comes out is that actually it is that bad. You can only lie to yourself for so long before something deeper, God's truth, starts poking at you. And it's like, no, that, that's, that's not right. And then you're still left with that humiliation and that distress. Which then goes to how the world reacts to the second way. And this will happen on a dime. It will flip on you. You will go from everything is fine to nope, shame is your burden. It is the consequence and the punishment that you deserve. So you have to carry that now. Forever. That choice you made 10 years ago, that broken thinking, 
that evil thing, whatever it is, you deserve to be punished. You deserve to carry that around. And now this is your burden, and we have weaponized shame, right? Think about how the world tries to convince you to do something. Oh, if you don't do this, you're a bigot, or you hate babies, or you do this, or you do that, right? We weaponize truth. And if you don't agree with this set of truth, then I will shame you into thinking that, you're, that I'm right and you're wrong. That is your burden. That is your obligation, right? Job, when he was suffering, his friends were trying to figure out, why are you suffering? That's what they tried to do. They said, hey, surely the evil man will have no respite. In the midst of plenty, distress will overtake him. And the full force of misery will come upon him. Job, you deserve to suffer. That's what God wants for you. Because you did this, God doesn't love you anymore. So take it. Accept it. Carry it. But it's trash. It's junk. Because God's our father. And like any good father, they don't want their kids to carry around shame. My dad, when he was mad at me 10, 15 years ago, wasn't telling me, hey, Josh, this was wrong because he wanted to punish me for the rest of my life. He didn't want me to be like, Josh, you know that time where you were ashamed, where you were a little humiliated? I want you to carry. That's not my dad. That's not his heart for me. And that is not God's heart for his kids. God provides a different solution, a third opportunity that balances you don't have to carry that burden anymore without having to pretend that everything's okay, that there isn't good and evil, that there aren't wrong choices that we make. And that's where our epistle comes from today, right? So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says these words. He says, even if I caused you, he's talking to the church now, sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. We don't know what sin, what brokenness, Paul had called out to the church in Corinth. But there was something wrong with them. And so Paul writes a letter to them, and he says, Guys, this is not in line with God. He calls them out. He calls sin a sin. All right? And he says, Guys, I know it hurts you. Because it doesn't feel good when someone has to call you out, right? When someone says, Hey, that thing you did... That way you acted, what you said, what you didn't say, it's not comfortable. It hurts. Paul says, I I felt bad, but then I realized this is a good hurt. Why is it a good hurt? He says, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings only death. And this is the crux of the matter. There is godly sorrow, and there is worldly sorrow, and they are two completely different things. Worldly sorrow leads to death, full stop, every time. The world of trying to shame you into acting differently leads to death. Pretending that sorrow doesn't exist, that shame doesn't exist, leads to death. But we have a God of life. We have a Father who wants to love and empower and take that away, and that's that godly sorrow. I love how he says that. There's this gift and this promise in it. It brings repentance, 
Repentance literally means to turn from something, right? So to say, okay, this decision, this muck, this evil, I am turning from this, God. So it leads to that, leads to salvation, and I love this. That leaves, sorry, no regret. No more head trash. You don't have to carry that anymore. You don't have to carry it around like a burden, like a scarlet letter of, I'm so broken that I deserve this. God says, no, I got something better for you guys. I'm willing to die to make things right. That's the sacrifice of Christ. The fact that we don't have to be humiliated and distressed by our past anymore. He says, guys, I've got something better for you. But what's awesome is it doesn't end there. Paul doesn't just say, and so you're forgiven. Go in peace, right? Because the reality is, when we make mistakes, when we choose evil over good, it leaves a mess. It leaves destruction. It tears things apart, right? And it's not like God's like, none of that past stuff ever happens. What does Paul say? He goes on and he says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Godly sorrow leads to restoration of the brokenness. It leads to restoration of your relationship with God. And it starts to redeem your brokenness and your hurt with others. So those times where you willfully and consciously made mistakes and there is hurt there, there is brokenness there. God says, hey guys, I want to restore those relationships. I want to redeem those relationships. Not only am I going to forgive you, not only am I going to take that head trash out and that shame out, but I'm going to start to make something beautiful out of that mess and I'm going to start putting back together all the relationships. See, godly sorrow, repentance, it replaces that trash with something beautiful. It's a promise. And if you look at it like a street, there are two sides to this equation, right? Shame is when we've made the mistake, right? When the problem is on our side of the street. But we're not always the one who makes the mistakes, right? Sometimes other people hurt us, and that's where resentment comes in. So we'll talk about that next week, all right? Because this is a two-sided coin, right? Relationships take two people. But for the shame aspect, for our personal side, there is a promise that we can be restored and redeemed. And the first step of it is repentance. That's why we build into our rhythm as a church, hey, we want to be honest with God. Still broken still willfully and consciously choose to disobey through either my choices or my inactions every week. And so we build into our rhythm confession and absolution. Confessing to God, I still need you. And hearing that beautiful truth that he's still there. And he's still forgiving and redeeming and restoring. So we're going to end today by going through Psalm 51 I'm going to pray through it, and then I'm going to leave a time for silence where we can just be honest with God and like, this is where I'm at. This is the junk. This is the head trash. This is the shame that I'm still carrying around. And this might be from something you did driving into church today. This might be something from 15 years ago. But we're going to spend some time, and we're going to give it to God, and then we're going to hear the promise and the truth that we don't have to carry that.
Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. But we're not always good. So, Lord, we join David in the psalm, and we ask for your mercy. Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions, Father. Lord, wash away our iniquities. Cleanse us from our sin. Lord, from the times that we said things we shouldn't, or we acted in ways that were not in line with who you had designed us to be. Lord, for our transgressions, our shame, our sin, that burden, it, it sticks with us. It stays in our head. Lord, and surely we were sinful at birth from the time we were conceived, Father. And so we come before you now just in confession, in repentance, Lord, in vulnerability before you, our Father, that there's hurt and there's brokenness inside of us. Lord, we give you thanks that the story of creation does not end in Genesis 3 where we are hiding from you. Lord, but because of your son Jesus and because of his work, Lord, we are invited into a relationship because you will redeem, restore, and forgive us. And so we also join in Psalm 51, Lord, and we pray, cleanse us with hyssop and we will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Father, Lord, I pray today every single person in this room knows that your heart is for them to be as white and pure as snow. And Father, when you declare something, it is, period. Lord, that because of your son, and in his sacrifice, we are white as snow. Lord, I pray for that joy and that gladness. Lord, I pray that, that time, those times where we have been crushed by our shame, Lord, that our bones would rejoice. Lord, that you would hide your face from our sins, that you would blot out the iniquity, and Lord, you would create pure hearts in this church. Lord, that you would renew steadfast spirits inside of us. Lord, that you would restore to us that joy of your salvation. Lord, and that you would grant willing spirits to sustain us as we leave here. As your children, made beautiful and right, and made to be agents and ambassadors of reconciliation, wherever the mess has infected, whether it be from our own decisions or decisions of others. Lord, we join with you now. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.